Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all? Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refine Collective podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go. But would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. All right, you don't even know what you're about to get yourself into as you listen to this incredible episode. I had the privilege of chatting with Deborah from truelovedates.com. She's a licensed professional counselor and she specializes in dating, marriage, relationship issues, along with a spectrum of mental health disorders, all the things. She's also the author of True Love Dates, Choosing Marriage, and Love in Every Season. She also is the host of Love and Relationships Podcast, a hotline style show where people call in to get their relationship questions answered. Um, Hello, that is amazing. Deborah is also a regular contributor at Relevant Magazine, Crosswalk.com, and her work and articles have been featured all over the place on topics like love, marriage, dating, sex, relationships, in publications like Today's Christian Woman, Verily Magazine, and BossCamp.com, Proverbs 31, IamSecond.com. The list goes on and on and on. Why I love her is she's honest. She's real. She doesn't hide behind like pithy sayings or quotes like she lives the stuff. And in this conversation today, we talk about everything from why it's okay for a woman to initiate a relationship and the dating mistakes that are holding you back to myths that so many women are believing that are keeping them stuck in their season of singleness. Get ready. We're diving in. Welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And today I have professional counselor, author, homeschool extraordinaire teacher, (laughs) Deborah Valletta. Welcome. How are you doing? Thank you. It is so good to be with you today. It's so good to connect with you. And I had no idea that you, aside being a counselor, 
and having this amazing website, True Love Dates, speaking all over the world, writing all over the world, writing all these books. You also homeschool your children. That's my secret life. (laughs) Oh, how? Oh, man. Yeah, we've been homeschooling for... Uh, my daughter's turning 10. So for a while now, and, um, you know, believe it or not, it's not as, it's not as tricky as it seems as far as like time commitment and that sort of thing. And eventually your lifestyle of schooling and work, they all kind of just blend it together. So, um, we're making it work. Yes. But how do you do that and write a book? Because I'm single, (laughs) and I don't have any children and I'm writing my first book and I'm like, I don't know how anyone can do this. Like, (laughs) unless it's the only thing you're doing and like, what's your secret sauce? You know, I'll I'll, I'll tell you this. Each book gets easier to write. So my first book took me about nine months. I mean, it was, it was like birthing a child. Like it Mm -hmm. took that same amount of time to, to create this book. My next book took six months. The one after that took four months. And the one I'm working on now I've started and finished in about three. So it really does get easier. It's almost like this muscle. And I can't say that for every single person, but I just have felt like for me, the process has gotten easier along the way. And one thing I was saying to you before we started recording today was just the idea that I feel like the Lord really takes the loaves of bread and fish, the little bit that I have. And he's like, girl, trust me with it. And I'm going to multiply it. And he has. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. That's so incredible. And I think it makes so much sense that it would, with everything you're developing the muscle, you know? So if I've never done a push up before, I'm not going to be able to do 50 exactly. in the first try, you know? And, and, um, and you should really make sure your expectations of yourself are in the right place because sometimes we want to start at point Z when really it's like, I got to start at point A first and just do a good job with A and then B and then C. And then, you know, like just one step at a time. And also not to compare ourselves with what, yeah. what other people are doing and how they're accomplishing things. Um, because everybody's timeline does look a little different. My, my mom jokes that our house is like the military because we're so structured in our schedules with the kids and what, what they're doing when so that I can have time to write. Like every day kind of has a schedule and a rhythm um, just to make sure that we're carving out time for the things that matter. I am one to be, oh, let's just do as the wind blows. But now being an entrepreneur for 10 years now, I know that structure creates freedom. Yes. (laughs) And if I want to, if I want to only write or only work or only work out when I feel inspired, those moments are super far and in between. And those moments when it happens are magic, but it's when we sit down with intention and integrity and discipline that that muscle is strengthened. 100%. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to talk with you about dating. Um, I got lost on your website for a long time. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I like just kept going, like reading one article and then like clicking to the next and clicking to the next and clicking to the next. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I why have I not had this amazing human on my podcast? I want to ask her all the questions. 
Oh, that's awesome. I, I love hearing that you uh, got caught up in there. There's a, there's a lot of information on there, that's for sure. There really is. And so before we get into the questions that I have for you, which I think are going to be really spicy, can you just tell us who you are and what you're about and what you do? Yeah. So um, like you said, I'm Deborah Valeda, and I created a website called truelovedates.com. It's a relationship advice blog. And I actually started it about six years ago. So at the time I had published my first book called True Love Dates. It was a book for singles. You know, one thing that you kind of have to understand about me is I have a little bit of a rebellious spirit, but in a good way. You know, I just sometimes the status quo just really um, bothers me. And and at the time, I kind of came from this culture where Christians and dating were not uh, something that you'd put in the same conversation. Like Christians were encouraged not to date. Christians were encouraged to pursue courtship and to avoid dating and to kind of see dating as this bad thing. And as a licensed counselor, you know, working with patients and marriage counseling and all kinds of um, of relationship focused stuff in, in my in my job as a professional counselor, I just saw such a need for education on healthy relationships and dating and something that I didn't feel like the church was providing practical ways for us to engage in dating. And, and so True Love Dates was the message that was birthed out of that need to kind of fill that void in the Christian culture at the time. And at the time, I was a licensed counselor and a mom, and I didn't really have a way to market the book. So I started truelovedates.com after the book came out as a way to kind of say, hey, maybe I should write a blog and market this book. But the interesting thing about it is that the blog took off. And it just instantly overnight just got so many hits and just kind of exploded right before my eyes. And so I realized that God was showing me like there's a need here. People are hungry for this conversation in in a way that's practical and not over spiritualized, but at the same time rooted in truth and rooted in God's word and rooted in these timeless principles and psychology and faith go hand in hand. And so that's kind of where this relationship advice blog was birthed. And now it's an advice blog, not just for singles, but for people who are dating, engaged, married. And it's kind of taken me across the country talking about the subject of healthy relationships. I think that's so important. And it's not a surprise at all that the website blew up, that you have millions of people on your site every year because it's one of those things that I think, you know, I grew up in purity culture in the South. And I think we're at a point now where that's no longer as much of like a movement, but right. its impact has impacted my generation, the next generation. And you add in things like online dating and living longer, marrying later, and women being more educated than we ever have before. And it's like, how do we actually walk this out well? And I know for myself, it's been such a journey and I still have moments where I'm confused and I'm like talking with a guy online and I'm like, how do I actually get this to go in person? Or I want to be pursued, but I'm also, you know, I don't believe it's bad to initiate. And I think something that you, what you're doing, what it really hits a pulse with is this idea that 
I think in every other area of our lives, we're intentional. Yes. If I want to go to college, I am intentional about getting the grades. If I want to be a doctor, I'm going to study. I'm going to apply. I'm going to get educated. If I want to grow in my career, I'll move cross country. We're willing to spend tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars on our career, on our mental health, on our spirituality, going to conferences, Bible studies, retreats. Yet with dating and love, it just seems like we do the spiritual bypass thing of, well, I'll just pray about it. Yeah. I'll just wait on God and 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 I'm just going to hope for the best. And, and it's so true. We, we take a passive stance to relationships and, and people have this underlying false assumption that just because you're a Christian means you're going to be good at relationships, which is completely unrealistic. You know, earlier we talked about those muscles that we need to develop and healthy relationships is like a muscle. You, you're not born knowing how to engage in healthy relationships. It's something you have to work on and train and educate and grow. But we often, especially in Christian culture, tend to be really passive in this area of our life. Yeah. So in line with that, I just want to kind of address some like heavy hitting things that I hear all the time, even that I walk through as a single person. And what I want to start with, because we're talking about being intentional, is this idea of a woman initiating. Um, I know for me, it's been a hurdle that I've had to get over, especially with online dating and just this mentality. I actually do want to be pursued. I want a guy to make movement towards me. I don't want to just be chasing. Um, But you have some really interesting thoughts about why it's okay for a woman to initiate. And I would love for you to unpack those. Yeah, definitely. This is a topic that's changing and evolving with time. I think if we would have looked at this subject even a decade ago, there'd be a whole lot of people who think that a woman shouldn't make the first move. And and even today, there, you know, I recently did a survey at truelovedates.com and there's still about 35% of people who took the survey that would say, yeah, a woman should not initiate a relationship. But but here's the thing. I mean, I've personally evolved in this idea along the way as I've grown and as I've matured and as I've engaged in relationships. And I've realized that so much of what we believe about this topic is actually fueled in cultural norms, not necessarily biblical norms. I mean, the truth is we we kind of get this message because years and years ago, that's how things happened. You know, if you look back to the ancient cultures of the Middle East, um, for the most part, that's how things happened. Uh, the, the woman kind of sat back and waited. Um, but we live in a completely different culture today. And the problem is when we when we go into relationships with that mentality that a woman shouldn't initiate, you end up creating a culture of passive women and women who aren't willing to initiate in dating, women who aren't willing to initiate in marriage. It's kind of a culture that the man is supposed to kind of lead the way and do everything. But that's not a healthy relationship because it eventually turns into a one-sided relationship. And healthy relationships are always made of give and take, give and take. And so one thing you were saying is like a lot of us as women want to be pursued and that's important. But at the same time, we have to understand that men want to be pursued too. It's an, it's not a male-female desire. It's a human being desire. 
And, and so that's why it's important to realize it doesn't matter who initiates. What matters is that we see a pattern of give and take along the way in the relationship, because that's how you know you're onto something healthy and something good. It's a reciprocal relationship. Oh, I think that's so good. And even as you're saying this, like my mind, like some of the alarms in my mind are going off of what does that look like? Or how do you make sure that it's not a tit for tat? You know, and then we can get into the whole like, well, aren't men supposed to like be leaders in the relationship and the marriage? How do we even what you're talking about is like setting up healthy patterns of like, I don't want it to be like a tit for tat, but I also don't want to feel like I'm the only one putting in the effort. And I think it can be it can be a little bit of a mind screw as, yeah. as a woman. And I'm also sure as a guy as well. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it's definitely not tit for tat as in, okay, I texted him once and now I'm going to wait for him to text me once and then I'm mm-hmm. going to call him once. And I'm, you know, it's not tit for tat in that way because that can definitely kind of create an obsession and, and, you know, really overthinking it. But one way that I describe it in, um, I wrote a book called love in every season. And one of the things that I talk about there is how to avoid a one-sided relationship. And one thing that you've got to realize is that relationships are kind of like plants. If you take a plant and you give it too much water, it's going to die. But if you have a plant and you're giving it too little water, it's also going to die. And relationships are like that. If you're in a relationship and you're at the point where you're giving too much, you just keep giving and you're not expecting anything in return. You know, you're you're always the one initiating. You're always the one calling. You're always the one planning things. Um, guess what? You're giving too much and your relationship is going to die. But then you don't want to be on the other end as a woman either, where you're giving too little and he's doing all the work and he's doing all the pursuing and he's the one pouring into you and you're kind of playing hard to get, Mm. or or maybe you're just not interested and you're giving too little and that relationship will eventually die. Mm. And so we've got, we, relationships are living, breathing things, you know? And so we're not, we don't necessarily have a tit for tat mentality, but we want to look at the big picture here and make sure that there's a quality in how much I'm giving versus what I'm expecting to receive back emotionally in this relationship. I think that's just something to be aware of as we're, as we're engaging with people. And, and I think this doesn't just apply to romantic relationships. This applies to friendships too. Like how many of us have been caught in a friendship where we're like, wait a second, I'm doing all the work here. Yeah. You know, yeah. I am just pouring in and pouring in. At some point you have to stop back, step back and ask yourself, okay, is this even a healthier relationship? And is it, is it worth the continued investment? Mm-hmm. And I think even just thinking back on my own past relationships, I, I was in, I dated a guy, gosh, it's been years ago now, but it was the first guy I had dated in years. And I was just under the like Christian cultural norm assumption that a guy should do the work. A guy should, you know, pay for all the meals. He, I will respond to his text messages and calls, but I'm not going to initiate. And that's just what I had. I don't know if I was taught that explicitly or implicitly, or if it was just through like the, the cultural norms in the church and growing up in the South as well. But I was dating this guy and 
we, I was crazy about him, crazy about him. And we went on a couple dates and then I stopped hearing from him. And I was so confused. I felt heartbroken. I like fell hard and fell fast for this guy. And I was talking to one of my girlfriends who set us up. And I was like, I guess it's over with him. And she was like, well, when was the last time you reached out to him? And I was like, oh, like I've never reached out to him. She was like, wait, like the entire time you guys have been dating, like you've never reached out to him. And I said, no, I want to be pursued. I want to be fought for. And so he would ask me out and I would say, yeah, that sounds great. Or he would, he just initiated everything. And so she ended up reaching out to him and was like, oh, like what's going on with you and Kat? And he goes, I don't think she likes me. I've, I haven't heard from her once since we've gotten together. And I realized, oh my gosh, like I think there's actually been a part of me that was hiding behind these like cultural and Christian norms of the guy should pursue because really I didn't want to put myself out there and be vulnerable. Yeah. Because like if I just responded to what he did, then I wouldn't have to make myself available to be rejected or to have feelings not reciprocated. And it was much more vulnerable for me to reach out and say, Hey, I miss you. Can we hang out? Like, I think I wonder sometimes as women and Christian women, do we hide behind these cultural norms because it makes it safer for us to play a victim or not be as vulnerable and being an an active participant in the relationship? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it definitely takes the vulnerability off the table when all we have to do is respond. But, But simply responding all the time is not a two-way relationship. It's not. I mean, that's what we're taught. But as far as healthy psychology goes, you can't just respond and not give and expect a relationship to be healthy and whole and mature and strong. I mean, it's got to be a two-way street. And what's interesting is that a lot of times we say this is biblical, but you show me a passage that points to this concept before you say this is biblical, you know, and, and, and the other thing too, I mean, if we're going to look at the Bible, the Bible talks about mutual submission and, and it's talking about mutual submission in marriage, um, first and foremost, and, and the things that are in the Bible that people cite are, are always referencing marriage, not dating relationships. So I think a lot of times we really start this, this mentality um, and of, of, we misinterpret the scripture, first of all, and then we apply it misinterpreted, but way too early in relationships. So there's just a lot of things that are kind of confused in this conversation and they do impact how we do relationships. They really do. I mean, this isn't just something in dating. I was working with a couple just recently in counseling and, um, you know, they, they were married. And so, they're struggling with their sex life. And she's saying like, he, he is always, he seems kind of distant sexually. And, and so I asked her, well, when was the last time that you initiated something with him? And she's like, I never have because a man's supposed to initiate. So she's taken that mentality to the umpteenth degree and she's applying it to her marriage in her sex life. And it's completely destroying their relationship because of this false 
notion of what it means to have you know this this pursue initiate type of relationship in a marriage when really we're supposed to be pursuing and loving and giving to each other This episode of the Refined Collective Podcast is brought to you by my very own free guide for single women, six tips to activate your dating life. Raise your hand if dating as a woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has ever felt like a total struggle fest. Or maybe being single in our culture today feels overwhelming, lonely, discouraging, frustrating. And maybe if you're being really honest, It can even feel hopeless. Listen, single gal to single gal, I totally get it. But did you know that doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results is known as the insanity cycle? Friend, it is time to walk into a freeing, exciting, and purpose-filled season of singleness. It's time to activate your dating life. I created a free guide for you, and by free, I mean zero dollars, called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life to equip you to shake things up in your season of singleness. You can grab it right now at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. Now you will walk away knowing number one, the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. Number two, I'm going to teach you how to get unstuck in your dating life. And three, I will show you the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically change your season of singleness. And finally, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. You don't have to wander around for years like I did, insecure, uncertain, and discouraged about your dating or lack thereof life. So if any of this resonates with you, pause and go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips and grab your free guide. Again, that's bit.ly slash T-R-W dating tips. All right, let's get back to it. When I only put myself in the position of responder or reactor, am I really taking the time to pause and think, what is it that I really want? And I think a huge conversation within singleness, dating relationships, even work and being in the boardroom is learning how to communicate and own our voice of consent. Yeah. If I am not able to communicate what it is that I want, whether it's in the bedroom, when you are in, when you're having sex with your spouse, you're able to say, Hey, I like that. I don't like that. And that goes, I think that that conversation of being able to communicate in the bedroom starts with communicating and dating. Hey, I would, I really like it when you hold my hand that way. I really, I would really love to go see this movie with you. And I I remember one of my old roommates was like, I went on a terrible date. He is awful. And I was like, why? And she goes, he took me to IHOP. And I was like, okay, so let's unpack it. Okay. You don't like pancakes. I get it. And I said, well, what happened on the date? And she goes, well, he asked me like, are you open for an adventure? And I said, yes. And then he asked me, okay, are you down to go to IHOP? And I said, yes. But really, she didn't want to go to IHOP. But 
because she wanted to quote unquote be pursued and she didn't want to ruffle feathers. She didn't speak her truth and then just kept inside. Well, what a loser. I can't believe he's taking me on this date. So homeboy was like doomed for failure from the get go because she wasn't willing to communicate. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. Yeah. And I wonder if so, so many times in singleness and you're the expert I would love to hear is as women, are we just judging guys and not giving them a chance when really what we need to do is like communicate what we want them to do? Well, one thing you said is really important to note is that, you know, when, when we're only responding, we're not actually aware of what we want and need. You know, when, when our role is only to respond we can also find ourselves becoming desperate because it's like, if I can only respond to pursuit, well, that kind of limits my, the guys I'm going to date to the guys who pursue me. And if the guys who pursue me are guys I'm not really interested in, well, this is my only option because I can only respond. And I actually, honestly, this really applies to me because when I was in college, I came into college with the mentality that this is how it works. And I was kind of like you, like, I don't know, somewhere along the way, the things I read, the things I heard, the culture that kind of created my relationship world spoke these truths to me that I didn't realize at the time were not actually rooted in scripture. And so the first guy that initiated, I responded to, even though I wasn't that into him, even though I didn't feel 100% peace about the relationship. It's like, well he pursued. And that's a good thing, right? That's what we're told is the right thing to do. And I ended up in a relationship for far too long, partly because of this mentality, but partly because I was just wired to respond instead of step back and say, what do I really need? Does this even match my life? Is this even good for me? And when I finally did answer those questions, I realized like this relationship was not right. And it, it, it really wasted a year and a half of my life, maybe a little bit more because I went into it with the wrong perspective. Okay. So even just hearing that scenario that you were talking about in college, I just think how many times as a woman I have, instead of taking responsibility for, oh, how I'm showing up or look what I created in this relationship. It's easy just to focus on, well, the guy didn't do this. He's not what I want. He wasn't who I wanted. He didn't lead me the way I wanted as opposed to stepping back and saying, okay, moving forward, how do I want to shift my behavior? How was I responsible for creating the dynamic? How was I responsible for staying in a relationship that I didn't want to be in? Um, I think that is so much more empowering than just focusing on what guys are not doing. Cause I think that is, I don't know if you hear this with your community, but I just feel like it's so easy to be like, there's no good guys out there. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Pursuing women, like there's way more women than men in the church. And it's like, when I am just focusing on that, all I'm doing is strengthening that narrative. Yeah. And it's not even a true narrative, but it's what we, what we believe and what we live out of. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people struggle with that. So I'm all about changing that narrative and taking responsibility for our role in the situation, taking responsibility for our relationships. I was talking to a friend about this just the other day named Felicia, and she was saying, you know, one thing she finds that we create with this mentality 
is what she calls the princess mentality. We're just a bunch of princesses who are waiting for our Prince Charming to come and sweep us off our feet and do all these things, this one-sided relationship. But really what we're creating is, uh, is selfishness. We're kind of fueling the monster of selfishness that says it's all about me and it's all about what I need and what I want. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum are women who don't ever consider what they need and what they want. And, you know, like we can take this to the extreme. And that's why it's important to look at this as a reciprocal relationship. It's not just about what I'm receiving. And it's not just about give, 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 give and not get anything back. Like I have to have a balanced approach. I have to look at relationships as a two way street and be just as expectant that I'm going to receive as I am about what I'm going to give. And, and, and when we can get that right, man, do we set ourselves up for healthy relationships? Let's talk about this idea of soulmates or the one. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of different thoughts and ideologies behind that. Um, but you know, we live in like, like I said earlier, we're, we're getting married later. We're more educated than we've ever been before. And I know for me, I'm like, I don't want to settle. I want, I would rather be single than be with someone who's not God's best. And I've wondered at times are so many of us millennials generations after that are so many of us single because we're looking for one person to meet the needs that like not anyone can meet. Um, so I would love to hear you unpack this idea of soulmate. Yeah. First and foremost, I find it interesting that so many Christians do use that term because first of all, it was, it's not even a, a biblical term. It's actually something that was rooted in a, ancient mythology. And, you know, the story goes that these people were split, these gods split, these human beings, you know, they split them because it was kind of the way that they punished them for whatever they had done. And since then, human beings have been on the search for their other half, the part that was split from them, their soulmate, so that they can feel complete again. And that's kind of where this word comes from. That's where this idea comes from. So essentially, if we're following that mentality, we start believing that we're actually half full people. I'm half a person until I meet the person that's meant to complete me. And we Christianize it, you know. We make it sound a little bit more Christianese when we talk about the one that God has for me. Um, but really what we're saying is we don't feel complete while we're standing alone. And, and so many people um, struggle with that. I, I remember I spoke at a Christian college where this young woman came up to me afterwards and she's like, you know, I've been raised my whole life just to, to, to fulfill my calling of becoming a wife. And that's what I'm waiting for. And, you know, I get the desire for marriage and I believe it is a good desire. I believe you should hold on to that desire and not ever be ashamed of it. But at the same time, it hurts to see people who truly feel like they are not complete standing alone. Marriage doesn't complete you. It adds to the already complete picture of your life. You know, it, it just adds to it. It adds to your completeness and gives you overflow. It doesn't fill you up with, because of something that you don't have. And I think sometimes when we promote this, this ideology that marriage is meant to complete us, 
and we're meant to find these soulmates, we end up being people who are actually codependent and not healthy. And, and it can really become a big uh, problem spot in relationships. Oh, that's I haven't thought about it in the sense of putting the pressure on the one as creating codependency. But I think you're so right. And when I think we also need to go back to scripture and see, like, Jesus was single. So like, was Jesus less than I think, I think of that so often, when I look at the Western evangelical church, that seems to be, it seems to be really centered on marriage and family and underneath a lot of that, whether or not you're having sex. So like, and having that the entry point of sex be marriage, it's like, it seems like the church, we say it's like Jesus alone, but it's really like Jesus plus works plus like virginity and then plus marriage equals like salvation and wholeness. And I, I'm like, yes, yeah, Genesis 1 says it's not good for man to be alone. And also like Jesus is our model in all things. And was he less human? Was he less able to fulfill his calling because he didn't have a life partner? Like, I don't think we'd ever say that yet with each other or often in the church, it can feel like, man, like I'm single. I feel like I'm JV to the varsity. And you know, it's interesting when you say it's not good for man to be alone, it's true. And and fast forward, Jesus really wasn't alone. I mean, he surrounded himself with his people. You know, he had his people and he knew the value of not being alone because we're made for relationships. But it, it's not like he found his fulfillment in those relationships. He just knew that he was he was at his best when he was in the context of community. And so are we, and we learn a lot about God and ourselves in the context of community. We were made to be in relationship, but then we can take that to the next level of really idolizing relationships. And especially that one relationship. One of my pet peeves is when people call the romantic relationships, their significant other. And it's a pet peeve of mine because I say, There are so many significant relationships in your life. The fact that you use the term significant to describe one relationship alone, and that's your romantic relationship, shows me that we have a really unhealthy view of relationships in general and the value of community and mentorship and friends and counselors and people in our life who are so significant, not just this one significant relationship. Yeah. And I think even just going back to the idea of soulmate or the one or looking for, we're looking for our best friend, our lover, our confidant, our, you know, someone who shares our faith and worldview, all these things. And it's, first of all, I think we often are looking for God in a spouse. And so we wonder why our dating lives suck. And it's because we're expecting this imperfect human to be God. And then we're also expecting him to be like our workout buddy and watch rom-coms with us and be our dance, do dance parties with us and then talk philosophy with us. And God just didn't create us for one person. Yeah, And I say that being a single person who longs to have a meaningful relationship and marriage. Um, but I just wonder if we're selling ourselves short 
And I think we are when we're putting all that pressure on one person. Because then guess what? You get married and guess what? Life is still hard. Finances can still be hard. Um, your insecurities are still there. Like the the person, the one isn't the band-aid to all of your struggles or your hardships. And I think when we go to relationships in that sense, it's like we're we're suffocating them, like we're dooming them for failure. <laughs> right, right. And and not only that, but it's like if I if I am putting that type of expectation on them then I'm basically giving them permission to put that type of expectation on me. Mm. And God knows I can't be all things to my husband. I mean, that's just not realistic. You know, it's just not going to pan out well for either of us. So um, you're right. The, the truth is that there's no person who can actually complete us in that way because we were only meant to be completed by God. And and when we put people in that position, we're setting ourselves up for some major um, setbacks and and unrealistic expectations. Yeah. So Deborah, what do you think are some of the biggest dating mistakes that you come across in your clients and in the men and women that you do work with? You know, interestingly enough, the first and foremost dating mistake that people make is actually not taking a risk to start a relationship. And I know that probably wouldn't be the thing that people assume, but survey after survey that I have done has pointed to the fact that so many Christian people are not dating. And the primary reason they're not dating is because of fear. They're not, they're, they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of failure. They maybe put dating on such a high pedestal and take it a little too seriously. So it's keeping them away from relationships altogether. And the number one thing, every year I take this massive survey at the end of the year to ask about dating mistakes. And usually the thing that comes to the top is the fact that we didn't take the risk and we probably should have. We should have put ourselves out there and not been as passive. Um, That's just one of the mistakes. There's so many different ones, but... um, I I always find that one to be telling of our culture right now, especially our Christian culture. I think that even, I think one of the biggest things I hear is from the women I'm talking to is they're not talking to the guy or they're not saying what they want or putting themselves out there because they're afraid of it being awkward. Yeah. And I'm like, since when did awkwardness ever kill us? (laughs) Right, right. And part of the reason it's awkward is because we haven't practiced it enough. Mm-hmm. We're not good at it. Like everything's going to be awkward in the beginning. Um, but that just shows me that, okay, I still need work here. I've got room to grow in communication and expressing what I need and being assertive with my heart. And, and so that's, that's one mistake. But then, but then going to the other, uh, another mistake that I see is a lot of women, especially like we talked about earlier, because they're feeling like they can only respond or because they only have so much control, they start feeling desperate in the relationship. They start feeling desperate in their singleness. And when we feel desperate, we allow the wrong kind of people into our life. Desperate people make desperate decisions. And another dating mistake that people do ultimately end up making is because they're feeling desperate, they let people into their life that they normally wouldn't. People that are harmful or people who are not on the same page as them spiritually, 
people who are not treating them the way they want to be treated. And part of it, it's like, well, maybe this is as good as it gets. And like we talked about earlier, the narrative that you tell yourself and how you see the future is going to make or break the way that you do relationships in the present. Because if those are the lies that you're telling yourself, you're definitely going to start living out of them. 2020 is in full swing and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here human to human to ask you for support. Help me friend to help you. The Refine Collective podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career, but it is definitely a labor of love. We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refined Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. I have felt that. I have felt that desperation in my life, Deborah. I'm just gonna be honest. Like last summer I turned 34 and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 34. I don't know why that felt so much older than 33, <laughs> but I thought my my body needs to have babies. I want to get married. Oh my gosh. And mm-hmm. and I have wanted to be married since I was a little girl, so that's not a new desire, but it was one of the first times I felt myself feeling that sense of urgency and desperation and I could feel myself being like oh my gosh like mm. what 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 can I do what can I do I have to do something and I dated a number of guys in the fall and I don't know if you want to call them tests or just opportunities for growth but it was a real interesting time for me because each of the guys were great guys loved God, had jobs, you know, good guys. But ultimately I knew with each of them, like they weren't my person. And I could see, I could see how easy it would have been to settle because I so badly want to be in a relationship. I so badly want to get married. I so badly want to have children. And it was an interesting test for me to be like, all right, I know this person in front of me. It's like, this person's not a bad guy, but it's not necessarily the guy that I want. I love that you, you had the insight to know that about yourself. That is a sign of maturity and growth because when you know who you are, you start to recognize the kind of people Mm. who fit into your life. Mm. 
from the kind of people who don't. And your radar is in tune. You know, one thing that I always tell people is when you start feeling desperate, the best thing that you can do for yourself isn't just Mm. go on a dating spree. It's to take the time to look in and ask yourself, how healthy am I? And is there anything I need to work on? Because the healthier you are emotionally and spiritually, the Mm. healthier the people you're going to attract. Human beings are magnetic. And we tend to attract and be drawn to people who are on our level of emotional and spiritual health. And so when we start to feel desperate, we're going to start attracting desperate relationships. But when we can back up and say, you know what? I believe that God has good things for me. I believe in my identity in Christ and it is good. I believe good things about myself. I have dealt with my past. I am working on my problems in the present and I have a good vision for my future. When you start believing good things about you, you start attracting the kind of relationships that you believe you deserve. And those are the ones you start engaging in. And so instead of feeling desperate and acting out of desperation, We need to do the opposite, which isn't instinct. It's not instinctual to do the opposite, but the opposite is, okay, I need to take a step back, ask myself, why am I feeling desperate? What am I really believing? And how do I believe the right things so that I can attract the right relationships and recognize quickly the ones that aren't good for me? That's so, that's so important. It's so good. And I think it's, like kind of like what you're saying is it's a it's a muscle to be strengthened and developed and part of how I was able to know this person is not a good fit for me is because over the last 7 years living in New York I've dated a lot and I I mean I remember high school and college and then I went through seven a period of 7 years between college and post college where I didn't date and I was like I was like I want the next person I date to be my husband which I mean freaking talk about putting pressure on a new relationship. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned in dating is dating is such good practice. It's such good practice for me to learn how to communicate my wants and needs. And it's also so, I feel like every opportunity, every person I go on a date with, I learn something about myself. Oh, I didn't know that that was important to me. Or, whoa, this thing that I thought was going to be something I really didn't like is actually something I really need. For example, I'm more extroverted. I'm loud and out there. And I always felt like what I wanted was another person equally as extroverted and loud and out there as myself. And I wanted to marry a pastor who was a speaker so we could like be the Beyonce and Jay-Z of like Christian world. And now I know, you know what? I might need someone a little more grounded or a little more quiet, not because I'm afraid of him like stealing my sparkle, um, but so that we can both support each other in different ways. And I would not have known that if I hadn't dated a bunch of guys that had the same exact giftings as me. Yes, that's so good. In, In Loving Every Season, I talk about compatibility. And I explained that finding a good match for your life is kind of like putting a puzzle together. You're not going to have the identical shape. You know, the colors are going to be similar. That's how you know it's a good match. It's similar colors, but the shape isn't always the same. In fact, if it was the same, it wouldn't fit together. Um, so so you think about putting a puzzle piece together and, and you realize the diff- there's differences and similarities. 
And, and, and you can't take two exact puzzle pieces and expect them to fit because they won't. And sometimes we don't really know what we're looking for. And that's kind of like trying to do a puzzle blindly. Like you're just trying to grab different pieces and shove them in and see if they work and cram them a little bit more and force them to work. And that's not how it works. Like healthy relationships, you've got to know your puzzle. You've got to know what your piece looks like and what it needs and what fits into it versus what doesn't. And I just think that's amazing that you were able to identify, you know what, like maybe someone exactly like me would not actually work. Maybe that would clash. Maybe I need to find somebody with a little bit more compatibility. And I think it's so good to know that about yourself and to kind of open your eyes to what you might need. Thanks. Thank you for that encouragement. I appreciate that. Um, So kind of just wrapping up, you know, you have been doing this line of work now for years. You've talked to, spoken to millions of people through all of your different platforms. On top of that, you yourself are married. You have kids. What would you say is something that when you were dating, you thought, holy cow, like this is so important. And now you're like, oh my gosh, that's laughable. And then also vice versa. What's something now that you would say, I didn't know it was so important, Mm. but that I wish I would have known? I'll start with that one. The thing I didn't know then was how much my past would influence my present. When, you know, now that I'm a counselor and I've worked with so many couples, but I see it in my own life, like your past does not magically go away. It impacts so much of who you are and what you do in the present if you don't deal with it in a healthy way. And I think I took that for granted. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty healthy. You know, I don't have a crazy past and I don't have a crazy past, but there's still junk in my past. There's still baggage in my past. There's still things that shaped me in my family of origin. And, and the things I learned about love, the things I learned about myself, the value statements that I carried, whether they were true or not true. And then when you're married, all of a sudden marriage is like a pressure cooker and it brings out all that stuff. And when I'm working with couples, one of the number one areas that we always take the time to go back and dig is their past. Because the colors of your past are always going to bleed into the picture of your present, relationships included. And I I would really recommend, highly recommend the number one thing would be for people to get themselves plugged into counseling. You go do the work now, even while you're single, you work on the past and those past relationships, those past beliefs, those past experiences, those past wounds, and all of those things that, you know, you can hold on to. And that baggage comes with you in relationships unless you start dealing with it. So that's an area I definitely underestimated. And then one one thing that I um, definitely wouldn't have thought was a big deal back then when before you're married, this is kind of just a funny thing. But when you're married, before you're married, you assume that it's going to be like the movies where you are like enthralled in each other's arms every night and you're just entangled and your bodies are just all over each other. And uh, one of my mentors before I got married said to me, uh, make sure you invest in a king bed. And I was like, whatever, we're, we're just going to sleep on a twin. We don't even need a king. we like, she's crazy. And 100% get yourself a king bed because sleep is no joke. 
and you're going to have this person up in your space. And you know what? When it's time to go to bed, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> and everybody just rolls over and sleeps. And the more comfortable you are at night, the better you're going to be as a human being. And so I just think it's so funny when I look at movies now. And don't get me wrong. It's not like we don't have time to snuggle before bed. But seriously, that is not what marriage is all about. And, and when you're living with somebody, the things that you expected from the movies just look so different in real life. That's so hilarious. And you just calmed my nerves on, on so many things. My friends make fun of me because I hate sharing a bed. And I'm like, I just want my own bed. I just want to starfish all night. And I joke that when I get married, that we'll have two king beds <laughs> two king <laughs> to put in next to each other. <laughs> and I'm also not opposed. If homeboy snores, I mean, we might have separate bedrooms. You I'm just saying. <laughs> because no one is good if you don't have sleep. I know. It's just so funny because I was like, a king bed, what would I ever do with that? And now I'm like, I love this bed so much. Oh it's so God. big. There's so much space. Because if you think about it, you know, especially as a single person, I have roommates. I've had roommates since, well, my whole life with siblings, but roommates post-college and all of that. And I am so grateful that at the end of the day, I can just go to my own room and I can have things from the other person. Yet when you're married, it's like you're sharing all the things and then to share the bedroom. And then I imagine- Oh yeah, they're still there. Still here. (laughs) Being a mouth breather or whatever. (laughs) Um, So to have that space um, implemented is so important. So moral of the story, if you don't take anything away from this podcast, invest into a king size bed. Yeah, start saving money because you're going to need a king bed. <laughs> so good. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insight. Um, you have so many incredible resources for people to get their hands on. Can you just can you just hit us with it? Yeah, well, to start with, I have the website, which we talked about, truelovedates.com. And that's probably the easiest place to find me. And um, I have a a podcast called the Love and Relationships Podcast. It's a hotline style show where people call in with relationship questions. And then I have three books, uh, True Love Dates, Choosing Marriage. And then my latest book is called Love in Every Season. Well, they're so awesome. Thank you so much. I can't wait for everyone to get their hands on that. Um, We will talk soon. Sounds good. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.